Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. Hello, I'm Connor Faulkner and this is Driving Life. Welcome to episode 42, where I talk to Professor Roseanne Kenny. She's the founding principal investigator for the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging, or TILDA. It's a brilliant ongoing research project running now since 2006, and it looks in fantastic detail about all aspects of aging in Ireland. We discuss how it works, what it's telling us, and how you can get involved. Before we get going, I'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Doro Mobile Phones and Expressway Buses, two great companies in very different areas. They're very good to support us, so thank you very much. Don't forget to check out earlier episodes and other chats. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. So now let's go and meet Professor Rose Ann Kenny. We're on Zoom, but the audio is good, I think. Uh, Professor Rose Ann Kenny, thank you very much for joining me for a chat on Zoom. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. We're going to talk about TILDA, the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging. Um, it, it is fascinating. It's been running for quite a while now. Uh, will you tell us a little bit about it and, and uh, the scale of the project? Well, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to tell you a little bit about something that's my family joke me that it's the third child in the family. TILDA stands for the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging. And longitudinal means that we revisit the same people, participants, every two years. It's been running right. since 2006 when we did a four-year pilot run-in. And then we really went into the field in 2009. And what we did was we had to select a sample randomly so right. that people weren't people weren't um you know offering themselves for a study and that we were sure that our sample was representative of the population so what okay. we did was we got 30,000 addresses unfortunately in Ireland there was no data set that we knew addresses and ages of party people that we could okay. access so we had to cold call on 30,000 randomly selected addresses. So knock okay. on the door. Anybody 50 or more living here? And if so, would you like to take part in a longitudinal study for the next 10 or more years? We're now running for almost into our 13th year. And remarkably, 67% of people said they would who met those criteria. And okay. they have been a really loyal group of participants ever since. I'm sure some of the listeners to this podcast today are indeed are probably in the study. almost 9,000 people over the age of 50. It, it, at wave one, at the first wave, um, it, the study represented one in every 150 people in Ireland over the age of 50. So from a, from a statistician's point of view, that's a dream. It's an absolutely marvellous uh, cohort that has been recruited. And presumably then it's a really rich data set um, it, running now for, uh, well, since if you count the pilot wave, it's running for, yeah. for what, 17 years. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of things that, that, that strike me. Firstly, how unique is this? Is it happening in other countries? 
Um, and, and then um, perhaps more interestingly, what is it starting to tell us, Professor Kenny, and what are we learning from it? Thank you. So, yes, it is now running in 26 countries worldwide. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. And the value of that is we have created the questions we're asking, asking so that they're also replicated in all of those 26 countries, including I'm an advisor to China on their study and right. India on their study in Brazil, America, UK, European countries, Australia, etc. So, we can, we've harmonized core questions so that we can compare across the studies. And right. that's a very valuable yardstick for us in Ireland to see how we're doing. And I can tell you from our data and also other data sets across Europe that Ireland is the fastest aging country at the moment in Europe. Our okay. aging are kind of coming into the over 50, over 65 age groups now. Um, and whereas uh, we're catching up if you like, on other countries so, who had that wave 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, so we would have known that from other data that, you know, Ireland had a, a young population famous. So we all grew up being told how young Ireland's yeah. population is. Yeah. But yeah. manifestly, yeah. that population bulge is now um, sort of reaching an age and our 50 plus cohort grows. Absolutely. In fact, the, st the statistics are, are very interesting. We we in in the next so four or five years we will have a drop altogether between 2012 and 2025 of nearly 20 percent in people under the age of 18, but an increase of almost almost 60 percent in people over the age of 65. That's a pretty stark statistic. Yeah, yeah. So it's the it's the new normal being in that uh, being in that age cohort, and that has massive so social implications just for you know the fabric of the way we live. And um, can you tell me a little bit more about the data collection itself? How how sort of granular is the is 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 the data that you're getting, and also how much um, qualitative stuff are you getting? Because I, I kind of I understand the crunching the numbers of a large data set, but mm -hmm. as I say, how how rich is the information? Are are there one to one interviews, and what other stuff is done? Lovely, lovely question, and very pertinent. So we collect kind of three formats of data. Mm. The first is a self. The first is a face-to-face -face interview in the home of the participant via... Right. Now, not all 9,000, presumably. You'd yes. have to... No, no, really? everybody. Everybody. Oh, wow. Everybody gets this. And we have to... We've Chuck Feeney, may I add, to, uh, to, to thank for Tilda, because he gave us the initial money to get this kick started, because it was really, really expensive to do the first... Yeah, I can imagine. Started. Yeah, but but now now the study is now funded go on go on in an ongoing basis by the Department of Health. They get huge, very valuable, as you said quite rightly, mm. granular data. So the first interview is with the participant in their home, and okay. that takes about anything from an hour to ninety minutes, depending on how long. And the interviewers have some wonderful stories because <laughs> they very often go back to the same participant again, and you, you know, so that that that's yeah. a, that's a thing for, for both people will remember that famous tv series seven up uh which was so kind of visionary in its time uh, which came back to the same cohort of people at seven year intervals and you know eventually all through their lives yeah, yeah. so, so the are tilda participants essentially having that experience similar similar um every two years though right um, and after the age of 50, but some people came into the study age 65 because it's a representative sample. So we took the ages over 50 in Ireland and then we matched those 
age groups with numbers in our study. And okay. they're visiting every two years, and that's a face-to-face -face interview. And then also, we leave a self-completion questionnaire for more um, personal questions, right. um, more private questions, and, and people... That's a you know postal questionnaire that people send back to us. And then the third, so they're the first two. And then the third type of assessment is a health assessment. And we okay. do that now in Trinity College. For the first wave, we did it in UCC and in Trinity, but we just, we found it very expensive to staff Cork and Trinity. Now we just do it in Trinity. And we make it very easy for participants to come up to stay overnight with someone okay. with them to accompany them. Often we have couples in the study and that's a really detailed objective health assessment. That's proven terribly important from an Irish perspective. I, right. I can give you some examples of that, Connor. So yeah. in Ireland, um, say, for example, high cholesterol, 40% of people say at the face-to-face -face interview in the home, I have high cholesterol. When okay. we measure it in the health assessment, we find that 72% had high cholesterol. So right. there was a 32% unmet need, previously unknown group with high cholesterol. That's one example. Another one is high blood pressure, very similar. 38% okay. of participants in the home said my blood pressure is high. I know this. Okay. But 64% actually had high blood pressure when we measured it using very sophisticated techniques for measurements. So the, me the wow. measurements are correct. Okay. So, so I wonder, in, 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 yeah, no, and just in terms of policy advice that might flow from that, I wonder what are we seeing? Are we seeing that if people are, say, 64 years of age, um, but, you know, feel perfectly healthy, not aware that they have a health problem and, you know, therefore just you report, I'm fine, thanks very much. I, I might therefore be ignoring treatable symptoms or, or you know, asymptomatic problems. Yeah, particularly now in middle age, people are inclined to ignore there's a few things I say, you know, we, you need to know your, your glucose or your hemoglobin A1C for diabetes. You need to know your mm. cholesterol, the other measures around cholesterol, and you should know your, your blood pressure and probably BMI, body mass index. And Those so for the consumer, if you like, does that yeah. mean get your blood tests regularly with your GP? Every year, every year. Every year. Every year, at least every year, uh, uh, after the age of 50. I would say nearly after the age of 40, because we've really good data now showing that, yeah. you know, um, high, for example, undiagnosed high-ish, high high-ish, not very high, mm. high-ish blood pressure in midlife predicts people who will get Alzheimer's disease later on. Wow. For and, and, it, and it's data of the type that we're collecting that kind of uncovers those correlations, doesn't it? Absolutely. And uh, we've, we've shown this very clearly. Um, and physical activity is the other one uh, in midlife. People who don't take part in that much physical activity in 40s and 50s are more likely to get poor brain. I read, I read about that, actually, because, you know, people will be aware to an extent of the TILDA study because periodically, as you publish um, bits and pieces or nuggets, people become aware of those. I mean, there's a couple of things I read. One, one is that um, quality of life on some metrics peaks at around 68 years of age. <laughs> which I thought was remarkable. We've given all the kind of, the, you know, watch out for stuff. But actually, yeah. the beauty of this study is how pleasurable ageing appears to be in Ireland. Mm. Um, the, the, people's quality of life gets better after 50 okay. and continues to rise and continues to rise until late 70s, early 80s and only drops after <sighs> that because of physical in, um, incapacity and disability. Wow. 
particularly our generation, you know, big one. So that's, know, I, that's I, a I was I had a story. You, you know, I, I had a chat, one of the podcast chats that I had was with uh, Professor Donald O'Shea. Um, and that's, a, you know, that's a bit of a, a tangent, if you like. We were chatting about other things. But he was telling me when he was a young intern in a hospital in London, um, the word was whispered around that there was a 90-year-old on the ward. And mm. the young interns all went down to have a peek at, you know, this is what a 90-year-old looks like. And, you know, nowadays, you'll get two or three centenarians a week Absolutely. that you'll come Absolutely. across. That's right. I actually talk about that in my book as well. We were the same, you know, if if someone aged 100 actually was on the board, we'd all go up to have a look to see what a 100 year old looks like. That actually brings us on to an interesting concept that that I, I think mm. listeners might be interested in is this difference between lifespan and life expectancy. Life okay. expectancy is what you, Connor, can expect to live to in your life. Right. Um, but lifespan is how much we know as humans we can live. And for that, I can tell you that we the potential is there for us to live 122 years and five months because <laughs> that's the longest lived person, Jean-Marie Calment or Jean-Claude Calment. That's the longest lived person that we know of. So, okay. so that's lifespan. But life expectancy is how long you as an individual can expect to live. And we we kind of judge life expectancy by um, averages for populations, etc. Yeah. Average age an individual can expect to live to. And our life expectancy is increasing all of the time by between 2.2 and 2.5 years, every 10 years. So that's- So that bell curve is moving towards older and older. Populations all the time. All the time. Absolutely. I, and it's a very linear, Connor. I mean, it's it's this is what I'm telling you is the pattern since the 1800s in countries that have been keeping accurate records, particularly mm. the Nordic countries and our own. So so we this this is very clearly the case. Um so we we can, you know, if a baby girl is born today, yeah, she can expect to live on average three months longer than her sister born last year. Isn't that remarkable? Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Um, but presumably it can't be linear forever. There, is, 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 is well, there that's where I'm coming to with lifespan. It yeah. can up 122, as far as we know. As moment. far as we know, and Unless we may somebody through, else lives longer than yeah, and we may through through I don't know medical um, interventions and all that and new inventions. One can one can foresee that that might keep moving. But I think but I think for the sort of back here on Earth, if you like, not wondering about what might happen in in, in the in a hundred years time, but for the current cohort, um, it, it it's about quality of life, isn't it? And you have that conversation with people, um, it, it so it's not how long how how good your score is going to be in terms of the number of years before you die it's about the quality of your living in that last quarter if you like 
Absolutely. And all we're about, all of our research is not about life um, span. It's about healthy life expectancy. Ah, okay? um, so compression of diseases at the end of life. Okay. So that you've got much more independence and good health and fitness right up to the end. That's what we're about. Not, not, not extending um, lifespan. Okay. Um, and so some sort of sensible tips, if you like, for sensible aging um, that flow from that. And some of them are kind of obvious, Professor Kenny. I mean, if you told me that get off the couch and get some exercise, um, you know, there's no, there's a cohort of humanity for whom that isn't good advice. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, likewise, sensible diet and all those things. Um, and perhaps keeping your mind active. But are, are there other things that um, that you really would put your finger on and say, you know, take these tips and live this way? So the first one I think might surprise you. Yeah. Um, that's friendship. Oh, cherish, okay. cherish your friendships. Quality friendship makes a huge difference to the aging wow. process. It's as powerful as what you were talking about as physical exercise. Wow. And that is revealed unambiguously in the data coming from no question. There have been a number of uh, our studies, but there's also been a, a number of large systematic reviews and meta-analyses which have shown that it is as important for preventing heart disease, deaths, death from wow. heart disease, as smoking, alcohol excess and physical wow. exercise. It's a huge contribution. And is that so, related to the kind of the concept of placebo? You know, placebo works in remarkable, bizarre ways um, that, that kind of seem inexplicable. But, you know, in summary, if you feel good, it's actually likely to make a physiological difference to you and, and, and become true. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I mean, probably one of the most potent underlying cell reasons why we get older is chronic inflammation in the cell and friendship okay. and laughter and variety and purpose all reduce reduce inflammation yeah. at a cell level which is pretty remarkable um, and yeah. this has been shown in animal studies as well if you if you put if you take monkeys um, macaque monkeys which are gregarious animals like mm. us we need mm -hmm. people they need they need monkeys mm -hmm. um, and put one in a cell after 48 hours if you biopsy the lymph node in the neck which is the powerhouse or the engine for inflammatory genetic activity. You can right. see the inflammatory genes are upregulated and the protective genes are downregulated, which means you're getting toxic inflammatory reactions only after 48 hours of isolation wow. in that monkey. And so, so, sol so solitary confinement uh, literally terrible. poisons people. It's toxic, toxic. Wow. And, and therefore, Connor, yeah. now we come on to COVID and social yeah. isolation during COVID and the very, very toxic effects of that. And, you know, I, I mean, I think, I hope we have a good discussion of, of the lessons learned and, you know, what, 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 you know, because I mean, we were all mooching around in the dark when it came to COVID. We didn't know what well, we were, but we yeah. have to reflect. We must, from a policy perspective and as a society, look back and say, okay, what did we get right and what did we get wrong? And from my personal perspective, in context of the research we do, I would say one of the things we got wrong was the type of social isolation we imposed, which was yeah. very bad for people. 
Yeah, well, look, that obviously makes intuitive sense, and we all know the stories. And I guess you're right in 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 what you say about COVID. We didn't know, uh, you know, humanity didn't know. We were, didn't know how bad the epidemic was going to turn out to be. We had, you know, visions of of coffins on army trucks coming out of cities in Italy, and um, so perhaps it was an element of panic, and, and we yeah. imposed a, a degree of isolation and risked having a remedy worse than the disease. But coming out of it, though, uh, we sort of enforced a study on ourselves didn't we we, we well, now have is, data on the damage right. that isolation well, see, does that, that is the beauty of a longitudinal study yeah so we had information on everything like but brain health mood anxiety depression loneliness yeah. before covid then we did a covid wave and we looked at what they were during covid and i can tell you sadly that loneliness and depression increased threefold that's wow. a massive increase. Isn't and then it, yeah. after COVID, we repeated it just recently. And unfortunately, those levels have not gone back to what they were at the beginning, at baseline. They're still oh, halfway between the peak threefold and the baseline. So 1.5 fold increase still in loneliness and depression. And I'm seeing this. Um, and, and you asked about a narrative and a, a subjective qualitative data. We yes. asked our participants to tell us what they felt during COVID. And, and we're, we, we are, and we, we invite free text during, after COVID, after the COVID wave. And we can see that there are some people who are really struggling to come out of, yeah. out of how they felt during COVID. I think there's a fear and anxiety and they almost got into a, a downward spiral with social yeah. isolation and loneliness and they're finding it difficult to reconnect. So what I would say, for this podcast, uh, Connor, is mm. please reach out to people and please you, you reach out to others and for the others who are listening, reach out to whoever you can because because we all need that and no one's going to knock you for reaching out. People actually themselves are probably struggling. So reach yeah. out. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's as I say, it's fascinating to match data to uh, stuff that would make intuitive sense to us. And um, are there things that you, you're a gerontologist by profession and, 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 you know, even before, what are the things that have surprised you? So generally about how people age, uh, I think surprised, pleasantly surprised was the very high levels of quality of life, which continue to rise. Yeah, right. Yeah. Secondly, uh, secondly, I think um, um, certainly the, the cardiovascular stuff and met cardiometabolic work, and you'll have spoken to Donald Lachey about this. Mm. We have shown that a thing called metabolic syndrome, which is a compilation of high blood pressure, high metabolic rate, high cholesterol and prediabetes. That's quite high in Ireland. It's about 40 percent. And even though we give all of those metrics back to our participants so they know those levels. Yeah. Um, it it still doesn't reduce that much between waves. In fact, it rises. So, so I was surprised by how high that was. They're all modifiable mm. things. They're all things we can do something about. They're all quite toxic to brain and body going forward. Yeah. And if we're trying to compress diseases at the end of life, they're the ones we need to be hitting. And there's such good drugs that we know work with virtually no side effects, none really, um, that, that we should be employing. So, so that was a surprise. Another thing that surprised me was um the the high level of informal care that's being provided in Ireland okay Only by family support care. networks and communities and spouses siblings predominantly um children 
um, and parents. So two things. Yeah. Positive is the amount of grandparenting that's done and how okay. good that is for you. When we looked objectively at people who were grandparenting or volunteering to a significant level, all of their um, biomarkers, their inflammatory biomarkers and other things were much lower than people who weren't. Wow. So, and, and depression levels were less and disability was less. Arthritis was less, etc. So it's volunteering and grandparenting yeah. are good for the soul. And good but you know, I... I... I, I was told a story, but I don't have provenance for it. I, I, I just don't know if it's true, but I, I was reading in some book somewhere that um, anthropological studies have shown that that older people can hang on for specific events. So there was some community in Africa or some strange culture somewhere uh, where there was an anomaly whereby, you know, older women were, were dying disproportionately in a certain month. And on investigation, it turned out that culturally there's a village festival and the the older, the oldest women in the village are at the heart of that festival. So it turns out that, or it seems um, that people sort of literally hang on and we'll know stories about older people who will refuse to die until say a great grandchild is born and then you know a week after that happens they let go is there more to that than anecdote is so, that true well, that's it's absolutely true um, and i think we underestimate how closely linked the brain the heart and indeed the gut and other parts of the body are our brain can con obviously controls those you know from a from a very basic and um, physiological perspective but psychologically also has huge control over those organs through the autonomic nervous wow. system we know more and more about that now so so it it is absolutely the case and we we when i was a young doctor we i, I remember talking to somebody about this that you know the expression she turned her face to the wall you know, oh, gave yeah, up, yeah. Gave up. Gave and up. I remember I remember saying to people, I, I see this, I see someone just giving up. If a spouse died, for example. That's the classic died. one, yeah. They died very quickly afterwards. Um and I remember this. Or it used to be when people say, retired, they seem to, you know That's the well, that's an interesting one because that's about purpose. But I remember at the time when senior consultants who had been in the field a long time said, No, that can't be the case. But now we know it is the case, actually. You can actually do that. We we actually see it in younger people with anorexia nervosa for example, oh, it's almost right. like a forced early death um, and uh, in, in some. Um, and yeah. so this is the corollary with, with older age. So it's all very interesting. Listen, can we plunder the data? Can the nerds amongst us just go onto the Tilda website and just yeah. rummage and hundred percent. So we've, 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 we do loads of reports. Oh, how many did yeah. we do? Nine or 10 reports during COVID to help government and to help people. Um, so, so, so absolutely plunder the data. And then we had loads of reports in that before and after. So the reports are kind of easy to read because we make them so that they're public facing yeah. um, and they're on everything you could possibly think of. And then yeah. we also do scientific papers. We published 600 scientific papers in the last eight years. So and we we've very high rate of publication. And, and it's probably worth saying that it, 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 it not only is it a hugely reputable study and 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 very it's proving to be enormously internationally influential, um, and it, it has won a series of awards and stuff, hasn't it? I mean, it really has yeah. kind of garnered yeah. the attention of of, yes. of, of I, the world. I think it's, it's pretty much considered the best of the aging longitudinal studies worldwide, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. We were able to introduce early on technologies for measuring things like brain blood flow. We measure brain blood flow during standing. Wow. And, and beat to beat blood pressure, heart rate, stroke volume from the heart, et cetera, when people stand up. Because if you think about it, we have evolved from big apes. Yes. On, yeah. on, down on all fours. 
And we stand 30 to 50 times a day. So it's a huge challenge to the dynamics of our system. So we measure that and we can tell subtle changes in all of that um, as early markers for the aging process. And then we can actually help with managing those changes, mostly through exercise, actually. There Um, you go. And fluids. Yeah. And so in terms of the advice to the to, to, to the Mark One human being, is it really the extension of the advice that you give to anybody at any life stage? You know, eat well, be sensible, avoid excess, have a rich network of friends, be physically active, be mentally active. I would add, you mentioned pen, it's retirement and that, and that some yeah. people fail after retirement. And that's about purpose. And this is just a new science that's come to the field. How important purpose is for us in terms of evolution and survival. Um, So we have to, you know, we must, if we feel we no longer have a purpose, then we almost involute physically, cognitively. And, And so, you know, some people identify retirement with no longer having a purpose. So Mm. in that context, I would say, actually, we can create purpose out of very little. I mean, morning, get up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, make a list of the things you're going to do the next day. That actually gives you a purpose. So you don't get up in the morning and think, oh, what's what's today got for me? Particularly if you've worked and you're used to a, a format in your day, but you can create purpose. The other thing which is coming to the fore, which is very new, and we just launched a lovely report on it last week with Creative Ireland, is creativity. How good creativity is for physical and mental health health so yeah there are some new you know one of the things you said at the start and i I, I totally get why this would be when you're trying to be so statistically robust and 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 you know keep within the rails of all of um the people who come forward to you wanting to take part um are perhaps a bit of a self-selecting group so you can't just sort of throw open your gates but can people still come forward to you and say look this is fascinating i want to be involved no, that's a great question. Not So they can't be involved in the main study because obviously right. that has to be unpolluted, if you like. But, yes. so, but we're always doing feasibility studies. Okay. How, 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 how do people accept this? Can people, do, or, or what, 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 what do people feel if we were to do this test? For example, we're collecting feces, stools from participants. <laughs> in this really? study. And that's, that's so we can measure the microbiome, which is this whole new organ of bacteria that we <laughs> understand is very important for the body. And so we piloted that and the response rate was almost almost 90% of people who were approached in the pilot study sent their feces, had no problem with it. Isn't that that is beyond yeah. extraordinary. I mean, I do, I, I can see the, 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 the merit in it. Um, I, 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 that is one. So if pe- can people literally contact you via the, via the tilde website? It's on, and the, say, it's on the website. And we have a separate database of people who self-refer, who'd like to be involved in, in helping in any way. And obviously that's wonderful. That is absolutely brilliant. Um, so the future for Tilda then, I mean, the work continues um, and, and the cohorts continue to get revisited. What, what the same cohort is going is continuing to be revisited. We've reflet, we've re- replenished the cohort, so we've refreshed the sample with fifty to sixty five year olds because obviously that cohort has been growing yeah. over the last thirteen years. Um, so that's the first thing. So that we continuously have a new cohort, you know, re- refreshed samples. Um, and the next thing to say with respect to the future of Tilda is we're, um, um, that we're planning to continue the study, continue doing what we're doing, but also adding 
you know, this science is moving so fast that we're constantly mm. adding new things to that to that science. Um, and and I would just like to add that an independent um, evaluation report, not not done by us, but but um, dictated by government that we had to have done, of course, mm. to make sure we were value for money, noted that they were they were able to apply certain models of evaluation to Tilda and that Tilda had changed the attitude towards aging in Ireland over the last 10 years. Tilda had changed well. the attitude. Tilda had the, changed. Yeah, in the media and the way we're discussing and looking at the aging process. In other words, had had created a positivity around aging, which is yeah, very good. More than anything else, I'm so proud of. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it, it it represents enormous social progress, doesn't it? And it sort of opens a a, a a vision of what all of our futures could be, should be like. Um, so it's fantastic stuff. Uh, you must be very proud of the study, Professor Kenny, and obviously it plays into your other professional role because you, you're the director of the MISA Institute as well, aren't you? The uh, Mercer Institute for Successful Aging. So, so, so first of all, there's a huge team behind all of this. You know, there's not just, it isn't obviously not just me, and, and I always really? want to give credit. But, but, but also, what we do then, uh, Connors, we we take the findings and we do use. Uh, we're Mercer's Institute for Successful Aging is in St James's, and it's yeah. a clinical research facility again, part funded by Chuck Feeney and Atlantic Philanthropies. And what we do is we take the knowledge we learned from Tilda, and then we apply it into new models of service delivery or new technologies for aging. There's a whole lot of good sciences come from that alone. For example, we now run a service in the emergency department where if you come in with a fall or blackout, which Tilda told us was very common, over 30 yeah. to 40% of people have a fall every year. Many of them visit hospital. Many of them are admitted as because of that fall to hospital unnecessarily, probably in the vast majority of cases. So we took that information and appointed a consultant nurse and a registrar in the emergency room, based in the emergency room, mm. who had experience in falls and blackouts. And they, they were seen by that team and then taken to a specialist falls and syncope unit that same day and evaluated, diagnosed, managed, discharged without admission. And we showed by doing that, that we saved the hospital the equivalent of a 12-bedded medical ward a year, opened up a 12-bedded <sighs> medical ward. But also saved in the in the region, depending on what kind of ward you would be admitted to, between ten and fifteen million a year. So for the, for the for a cost for, to run that service cost three hundred and fifty thousand a year, and that was the saving. That's a fantastic outcome. Again, started its journey in Tilda and translated into a new model of service delivery. And, you know, there's lots of good lessons in that. The value of science for science's sake, the the, the unforeseen benefits that flow from it. Um, even most cynical accountant in the world will post hoc be able to look at that and say, that's one hell of a business case. Um, and, you know, so long, long may it continue. Um, uh, listen, the work is fantastic, Professor Kenny, and I know you're very busy with it. So thank you for taking the time out uh, to have a chat with me and with our with our Senior Times listeners. Um, I, I, I could go down all sorts of rabbit holes. We could chat about lots of different things. Um, applying artificial intelligence to your data sets is mm -hmm. uh, uh, going to be a whole other world yeah. as well, perhaps. We've, we've um, already started to do, to do that. And I came across a paper this morning from a Chinese group because we publicly archive the data, Connor. That way we get researchers from all over the world yeah. also tapping into the data, mining it, and we get the benefit of their. And there has been a paper on artificial intelligence and diagnosing diabetes from our um, sample. I just came well, across. 
recording. Yeah, well, hopefully, as I continue successfully aging myself, one of my hobbies will be uh, plundering the tilde data and rummaging oh, through good. your website. Um, well, listen, Professor Kenny, thank you very much. You're very good to talk to us. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. Thank you for asking me. Bye. So that's Professor Roseanne Kenny and the Tilda study. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Let me know if you have any thoughts on the podcasts. Get in touch on connorfaulkner at gmail.com. Do remember that you can access the full Driving Life archive of previous episodes at seniortimes.ie. Thanks again to Doro Mobile Phones and to Expressway Buses. And we're done. Drive safely, live happily and come back and see us again. On will phone poke a new wet, on will knappy no fum nis orge wet, nis eskalehusod, faker na phone in tokatal gwin, on cho, egg doro, on phone clishta is dany, gidi gohon la hai glina, agus taskina, ta rod egen, gogoktina, ta nismo olis, egg, doro.com.